You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey there, it's Blasco, and this is a new level. Welcome to episode one. My guest today is Brian Slagle. Brian is the founder and CEO of Metal Blade Records, where he released seminal albums from Slayer, Merciful Fate, Cannibal Corpse, Amon Amarth, King Diamond, and Cryptic Slaughter, just to name a few. Metal Blade was also the home to the iconic compilation series Metal Massacre, which was the very first break Metallica ever received. He has penned the book For the Sake of Heaviness, the history of Metal Blade Records, where he had some nice things to say about me, so thanks for that. He is an avid hockey fan and an all-around super awesome dude, and I am beyond stoked that we have remained friends for over 30 years. So, Brian, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks, and I'm honored to be on episode one. This is pretty cool. You're the man. I mean, it, look, you you signed my very first band in 1985, which basically gave me the break into the business. And uh, it, it only makes sense that you're episode one. But before we get into the history of how we know each other, I'm going to tell you a story before we knew each other. So it was early 80s. And me and my buddy, we like we did that thing where like I said that I was staying at his house and he said he was staying at my house. And then we just like took the bus into Hollywood. We, we, we went into the Roxy and you know, now that I think about it, it was probably like a metal blade record showcase. Right. And this was the lineup. It was first of four was Slayer, then Savage Grace, then Bitch, and then the headliner was Pandemonium. <laughs> right? Oh, wow. I remember those shows. I was trying to remember why, yeah, Pandemonium was headlining. They probably sold the most tickets or something or other. They, they had a lot of good, they had a lot of friends. That's amazing. Right. And they, but, but you were there, right? And then this was before, like, I was even in a band or anything. We were just like huge Slayer fans and, you know, Metal Blade fans and, and everything. We were like, that's the guy. That's, that's the, the heavy metal mogul metal blade guy like you know we were just like super like enamored with your presence you know and stuff but um but i don't think i ever told you that story before oh that's awesome i love it i love it just to go on a real quick tangent but it's funny there's a lot of times over the years where you talk to people that you know in the business now or even in other businesses that were all at the same show and, and no and none of us knew each other then it's, it's always crazy to hear stories like that i love it yeah. Um, so look, I like to always start off with like our history and, um, from, you know, my, my knowledge is 1985 cryptic slaughter sent you guys a demo, right? Yeah. And the myth of the story goes that you guys got the demo and you put it on and you thought that we somehow sped up the tapes because you never heard anyone play that fast before. It's certainly possible. I'm trying to think if that was a William, it was William, Will, probably William Howe was there and I know Philly was there, but honestly the thing, you know, I'm, 
I'm the dumbest guy ever sometimes when it comes to like, you know, signing something. Like, for example, when we got the demo tape from Cannibal Corpse, I looked at it and it had a song called A Skull Full of Maggots on it. And I said, I don't even really care what this band sounds like. I'm going to sign them just to put out a song called A Skull Full of Maggots. And for you guys, the name of the band was so cool, Cryptic Slaughter. I'm like, this band, I love the name. I almost don't care what they sound like, but it still has to sound halfway decent. But I do remember it was pretty fast at the time. And uh, I think somebody in the office mentioned something like, I wonder if they spit up the tapes. I go, can you really do that? I mean, you can. But. <laughs> well, now you can then. But, yeah. Then I wonder, right? Yeah. I mean, you can do it then, but it's a little harder. Yeah. And then, so you guys checked, you guys checked it out. You dug it. I think the, 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 the demo had really some really solid underground buzz and you sent us a contract and we signed the contract and put the contract back in the envelope, went to the post office and mailed it back to you. <laughs> and that's cool. And that's how we know each other. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so look, how did you get started? in the music business. So I was just, uh, I was a big metal fan. <clears throat> you know, I grew up as a kid in, in Woodland Hills, California as, as a music fan. Uh, and I liked all sorts of stuff. I was, I went to high school in like the late seventies. So I liked, I would go see Ongo Boingo in addition to Quiet Riot or, you know, George Lynch's original band Exciter. And you know, I liked a lot of different stuff. And I was a tape trader. So I was, you know, trading tapes all over the place. I was recording live tapes. I was, you know, bootlegging stuff and then trading it with people around the world. And, you know, all 70s stuff, you know, ACDC, Judas Priest, Thin Lizzy, all this stuff that I really loved. And my life changed in an instant when one of my guys in Sweden sent me on the end of an ACDC live tape. Hey, there's this band called Iron Maiden that just put out something called the Soundhouse Tapes. You might be interested in it. And once I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing I ever heard. Then their first album came out, and I became just uh, obsessed with heavy metal, obsessed with the new wave of British heavy metal, and that was that became my life. And I couldn't play any instrument. I still can't play any instrument. I can maybe do a very bad 4-4 beat on drums, and that's about it. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't going to happen. So I, I was so in love with this music, I wanted to do, something to, to, to do something to help it. So I started the first ever U.S. heavy metal fanzine, the new heavy metal review, R-E-V-U-E, don't ask me why, because I don't remember. Uh, and I did that. Then uh, I started working in a record store. And from there, uh, I started doing stuff. I started promoting shows. I started to help the local radio station get put some metal stuff on. And and then, you know, I, I was all obsessed with this new English heavy metal and European stuff. And one day at the record store, that was actually the guitar player for Bitch, who became a good friend of mine, and they obviously became a metal blade artist. He said, you know, there are good bands playing around Los Angeles. I said, there are? Okay. So I think that, so the first show I went to was on a Wednesday night at the Troubadour, Motley Crue and Rat for a dollar. Wow. And I was like, wow, there actually are good bands playing in California. So, you know, I started to get into the scene at that point, you know, you had, you know, Molly and Bitch and Rad and, and Steeler and all these different bands and no one, you know, this is years before the internet or anything else and these bands just existed and no one knew who they were. So I got the idea really inspired by the, the new wave of British heavy metal and kind of do it yourself attitude to put together a, a compilation of local LA heavy metal bands. And I went to the distributors that I was buying imports from and said, if I put this record out, would you guys sell it for me? They all said, yes. So then I started to put the record together. And then, as you mentioned, my friend Lars, who I had known for a couple of years, because he was also in the same scene said, Hey, if I put together a band, can I band your record? I said, sure. Then ended up being Metallica. I ended up putting out the record, never thinking that I was going to start a record label. I was just trying to help the scene. 
and it did really well. And one of the distributors, uh, they were called Green World at the time, came to me and said, hey, we know, and I had no money, by the way. Barely, I scraped barely enough to make 2,500 copies of the original album. And they said, we know you don't have any money, but you seem like you kind of know what you're doing. We'll give you a pressing and distribution deal, meaning if you bring us bands, we'll take care of all of that. And I said, okay, let's do that. And that's really how Metal Blade Records was born and how I got into this crazy industry. Now, and, and then the myth is, is that this all started in your mom's garage. Well, that's not a myth. Yeah. Like, so, so like you were, you were young whenever you got into this. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was 20 when I first started. I think I was 21 when the first record came out. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was just doing it all in the, the, I had a little office in the back of my mom's, the back of my mom's house. We had a garage. We had this little room that was just kind of a room and it, and I, it was just kind of there. And I converted that into a little office. And for the, for the next three years, uh, conducted all the metal blade business out of this little tiny office. It was in Woodland Hills, California, which in the summertime, it gets up to about 108 and had zero air conditioning in there. So uh, that was interesting, but I didn't really care. I was so into the whole thing that it just, you know, it was amazing. It was super fun. But yeah, for three years, I was in the back of my mom's house and in her, in a room next to the garage. So, you know, you've had Metal Blade for as long as I've known you. You've had some of the most important bands in metal, right? Have, have you've, you've given careers to, right? So over this long period of time, what would you consider your greatest achievement? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I, I kind of go back and forth on them. I mean, look, the, the, probably the, the theory that most people would say is, you know, giving birth to Metallica on the Metal Massacre or, you know, signing Slayer and stuff. And all, I mean, look, all that stuff is amazing. But if I look at, at what we've done at, at Metal Blade, and I'm just doing this personally, for me personally, my, my greatest achievement, I feel, is uh, an album by a band called Armored Saint called Symbol of Salvation. So Armored Saint played a, a very key role in the history of Metal Blade. They were one of the earliest bands we signed. I think our third release was their EP. And they were the first band to ever get signed to a major label from us. And when that happened, they all of a sudden were thrust into the mainstream. And you know every article they talked about Metal Blade, where they started, and that really was a massively important thing for us because nobody knew who we were, this little tiny label that was happening. And so we've been, we've been friends ever since, since then, really good friends with another major label. You know, they had a, a, you know, a bit of success. I mean, at one point them and Metallica were touring together and they were actually headlining over Metallica. And obviously the famous stories about them trying to get Joey Vera, the bass player into Metallica. And, and in the early days, John Bush, the singer to sing and the guitar player, Dave Pritchard, who was like one of the, the most amazing people ever, uh, passed away from leukemia after they had put out three records on Chrysalis. And they'd been dropped from Chrysalis, and there was, you know, a lot of, you know, it's kind of little, the mid part of the mid-late 80s, and the scene was kind of shifting around. And they had made all these amazing demo tapes while Dave was still alive. Uh, for some, I think some of the best music they ever made. And they had pretty much broken up at that point. They were just disgusted by the business and were kind of all, you know, going to go on their separate ways. But I went to them and said, look, this material is so good. We cannot let this die. We have to do something with it. So I kind of were able to reform the band. And we, at that point, we had, had a partnership with Warner Brothers Records. So reformed the band. I got Dave Jordan, who did Jane's Addiction, and Allison Chains to produce the record. He was a friend of mine. We put it through Warner Brothers. We got Q Prime, who managed Metallica, to manage the band. And we kind of breathed new life into into this band and, and put out one of my favorite albums of all time, Symbol Salvation by Armored Saint. And just you know being able to, to take my friends who, who were basically just going to quit 
and not do anything and get them to do this amazing music and actually breathe life into it and have breathe life back into the band. For me personally, that's probably my favorite thing I've, I've ever done. And, and one of my favorite albums I've ever done at that metal play. That's amazing. So conversely, how about one misstep that you encountered along the way that you learned from? Well, probably the biggest one is, I, you know, I grew up in the 70s, so I'm a vinyl guy. Love vinyl. I still have my vinyl collection all these years later. I've lugged it all over the place moving. And <laughs> it's not fun to do, but I still have it. I couldn't, I, I never got rid of it. I'm one of the few guys that did that. Consequently, when, you know, I was running the label and, you know, towards the 80s, as we kind of segued from vinyl to CD, everybody kept telling me vinyl is going to go away. It's going to die. CD's new format. You should stop making it. I'm like, no, vinyl's never going to go away. It's the greatest thing ever. It's not going to happen. So I listened to nobody about this. And I kept making all the vinyl I could and not thinking anything about the future. Well, one day, <clears throat> all the record stores or most of the record stores decided vinyl's over. We're going to, you know, we're doing CDs now. We don't want this vinyl anymore. And they shipped all of it back. So I got a call from our distributor. At that point, they, it was still Green World who had morphed now into a company called Enigma. And they said, yeah, we've got some bad news. I'm like, what's that? We just got an insane amount of albums returned from, of Metal Blades because we never stopped making it. And I kept telling them, keep putting it in the record stores, which they did. But in the music business, you know, uh, if you... CDs, albums, whatever, it's all risk basically on consignment. You can make as many as you want. You can put them all in the stores. If they don't sell, they ship them all back and you have to give credit to the stores. So what had happened is so much, they'd shipped so much vinyl back that the company now owed me nothing. In fact, I owed them about $50,000 in vinyl costs from all these returns. So I'm sitting here, you know, I've got a company, I, I have some employees now, and it's like, what, what am I going to do? I, I have no source of an income now. Like, it's just gone. How am I going to pay people? How am I going to continue the company? So for a couple of minutes there, or a few days, I thought, okay, I, I, that's it. I, I got to throw in the towel. It's just not going to work. I, I, I don't know what to do. But I kind of was like, I can't quit now. I mean, it, it was things were kind of going well, other than, you know, doing that sort of thing. So... I took every one of those guys. You know, couldn't get a loan back then because I didn't have any collateral or anything. It was impossible. So I went to a bunch of banks and they laughed me out of the place pretty quickly. So I took every one of those stupid credit card things you get in the mail, like get a credit card. I signed up for all of them and I got about 12 credit cards and I basically bankrolled the label for about three or four months on all these credit cards until we kind of righted ourselves and were able to have some other things happen. But that was, I just, I didn't listen to what other people were saying. I didn't look at the big picture. I was just so you know, straight line forward, like, no, 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 vinyl's great. It's never going to go away. And that really was the, probably the one time that really very close to coming to the end of metal lighting costing me and my business. And what I learned from that is don't make that mistake again. Like look into the future, be, be aware of what's happening, embrace change, embrace what's going on. And I think that's one reason why we've been able to do this for 36 years is when a lot of other independent labels have kind of come and gone is because we, Whenever there's going to be change, we we'll say, okay, let's let's embrace it. You know, and whether that was you know the CD, and whether now it's you know the digital, the streaming, all this sort of stuff, the social media, any of those things, we embraced all that stuff as early as we could because things are going to change. There's been a million different formats, and if you don't change with the times, you're not going to be around. And, and I learned that very well when I almost went out of business because I thought vinyl was never going to die. Look, I got a funny side story on that. We were in your offices. 
And it was, we, I think maybe we were like delivering like our third record, but it was right around that time. It was like third record time. And, and I don't remember who it was, but it, they were like, you know, we're going to put this new record on this format. You know, it was the CD, right? Like I remember them ha- like handing us like a piece of plastic, you know, and, 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 we're, and, and we're like, there is no way this is going to catch on. Right. And our reasoning behind it, you know, we're on Metal Blade and we're metal, we're a metal band and we're metal heads, right? Like, we're like, there's no way this CD thing is going to catch on. Our reasoning, because the artwork would be too small. Yeah. <laughs> Look, a lot of us thought the same thing. It's like, you know, you, you move from the vinyl with this, this beautiful big artwork and artwork, artwork is so important for metal that, yeah, we all, we all said the same thing too. I, there was a lot of people that said that, but. Obviously, we were uh, we were wrong. <laughs> we were only wrong temporarily. We were just wrong temporarily. Well, the one caveat of that that kind of be- ended up benefiting us in the long run. So, you know, when all that stuff came back, you know, we I could not bear to destroy it. It just, we, it just crushed me, destroy it. So, we used to have this wall of vinyl in our warehouse, just this massive wall of vinyl. All the vinyl that we got returned, I didn't destroy any of it. And, you know, you get people going like, why don't you get rid of that stuff? I go, I can't, I can't do it. I don't care. I'm going to keep it here. And we had to keep it in like, you know, in our Arizona, our warehouse was in Arizona. So we had to keep it, you know, climate controlled and all this sort of stuff. So I kept all of it. I don't know how many pieces, it was probably like 30,000 pieces of vinyl or something. And of course, when everything kind of came back around again and vinyl became hip again, we were able to sell all of it. So at least I was smart enough to keep it. So I did kind of get lucky way down the, down the road for that. That's awesome. Uh, what is your best piece of advice for someone who is working towards a career in the music business? Uh, very easy. First and foremost, and most importantly, you have to love the music. If you want to get into this business, it's not easy. It's very difficult. It's, it's not an easy business to do. There's a lot of pitfalls. It's hard to get in. And once you get in, it's hard to stay in. But if you really, really love the music, then do it. Because that's, I think, the one common denominator between anybody, whether it's a band or an agent or a promoter or a label person or, you know, pick your poison of, of what it is. We all really, truly love the music. And we found that out over the last, you know, 10 years when the business kind of crumbled and fell apart. And there were certainly a lot of people in the 90s when it was really, really big and huge that got into it because they thought they could make money and, you know, all of those sort of things. And those people all left and were out pretty quickly when there was no money involved. And, you know, you never know. Like right now it's kind of getting good again. But I always say to everybody, if you really, really love the music, and that's got to be first and foremost, do it because you love the music. And always remember the music is number one and your love for the music has to be number one. And whatever you do, if you keep that there and, and really love the music and do it for the love of that, you'll be successful. Or you, let, let's put it, you'll have a better shot at being successful. So, Yeah, I mean, look, no one can deny the level of passion that I know that's in you, that you know that's in me, that, that our immediate circumference of people in this scene, like we're all here because we're super passionate about it. And that's the reason, it's the reason why you and I have been connected one way or another for over 30 years. I mean, that's pretty gnarly that we're, you know, we're, we're lifers in this, you know, we're lifer metalheads and that's just the way it is. And I think that goes for anything. Absolutely. And most of the people involved in the business, which is why I love this business so much is that that's the way it is. We're all music fans. We're all lifelong music fans. And, you know, you talk half the time, you don't even talk business. You just talk about, you know, what, what cool new record is out or what's cool record like before. And, you know, we all share the same passion and that's why I love being in this business because, 
you work with people who are all passionate music fans and that's we're all we all have the same goal even though we're all doing different things you know a lot of people think oh you're you know are you adversarial with other label stuff no we're all for the same thing we all love the music we all, all want to make this music as big as we can make it what is your unique strength yeah that's probably the, of all these questions that's probably the toughest one i think um that's a that's a really difficult one i I guess I have to go back to kind of what I said earlier, just about the the ability to adapt. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that we have here for me is that, you know, uh, we don't, even though it's an independent label and we all wear a lot of hats and I do a lot of different things, I always am curious about what's next. What's next? What's next musically? What's next digitally? What's next uh, on the horizon tech in technology? All these sort of things I'm really passionate and hungry about. What's new? What's new? What what can help us and what can help the music be bigger? And I'm always look always out there looking for whatever the next new thing is. And that's always going to be a little bit of a change, uh, whether it's music styles or, or how people get music or how you promote the music. All those things change all the time. And, and we've never been, and, and certainly I've never been in, in the case of just like, well, I'm going to... I only like one kind of metal, so that's all we're going to do. Like, I like all kinds of metal. So we, you know, if, you know, we'll sign bands like Cannibal Corpse, and then we'll have bands like, you know, that are completely like King's X or something that's, you know, really mellow. So I like all sorts of stuff. So I think the ability to adapt and change for me and, and look at different things and always not, and not be afraid of those things, it's probably the, the biggest strength that I have. Because I see it with a lot of other, especially independent labels over the years, the one thing that really killed them was not being able to adapt, not being able to change, just kind of staying the course of what they do and not doing anything else, which is pretty easy once you become a, you know, if you have an independent label, you get successful with one thing, you want to keep going with that. But I always like to do a lot of different things and always try to look forward on whatever is coming up. And a lot of people I, I don't know do that. So if I was to answer that, I think that's probably, I'd certainly kept the label alive for all these years. So I guess that would be my unique strength. Yeah. The, the strength that I see in you is, is a guy that like you didn't get into the fanzine, right? Like for anything else other than you were just sharing your love for what you were passionate about, right? It was music. And that you turn that into a business because of your love of the music. To me, your, your strength is the fact that you followed your passion, you made it a business and you, you did it in a way to where you figured it out. No one handed it to you, right? There wasn't a YouTube tutorial of how do I start a heavy metal record label, right? Like you, you figured it out because you were passionate about it. And, th and that's, that's something that I'm trying to kind of present in this podcast is that our successes and, and, and our adventure in this business and in the genre wasn't handed to any of us. Like we have a passion. We followed our passion. We built businesses out of it, but out of the love and out of the passion for the music. Right. And we figured it out, you know, and that's, that's how I see a strength in you. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. And, and really the funny thing is, is that all I, everything I've done in, in my life and in, in music has been just to turn people, turn other people onto music that I liked, whether it was the fanzine, the record store, the radio station, being a promoter, and then ultimately the label. That It hasn't really changed from where I started. I just wanted people to hear stuff that I thought was cool. It's like it was so much fun working at that record store and having people come in that like metal that like, hey, have you heard this new band except? No, here it is. And they freak out about it. And it's the same thing with, you know, finding new bands on, on Metal Blade and putting them out and having them have success. So that's ultimately the most fun thing to me for sure. What are you most fired up about right now? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a, a deviation here. 
Okay. Because it really is the thing I'm most fired up about right now is the freaking Vegas Golden Knights hockey team. <laughs> so as you mentioned earlier, I'm a huge hockey fan. And uh, I moved to Vegas about uh, about uh, about a year and a half ago now. And one of the reasons why I never thought I was going to move to Vegas in the first place. I just, you know, I have a house there and I kind of like the weekends and it's kind of fun. I don't gamble either, but it's a fun place to be. Anyway, I started spending time out here realizing people are nice. Uh, there's no traffic. And more importantly, they had a hockey team coming. So myself and uh, my good friend, Kerry King, uh, decided to go in on four season tickets for the Golden Knights. Not really expecting anything other than, you know, hey, there's a hockey team out here. Great. If I'm going to spend time out here, I've got to see hockey. And that's the best way to do it. And it's just, it's been, if you guys aren't following what's happening, uh, they're the first expansion team ever to make the playoffs. They're the first expansion team to have, you know, to win a division. You know, I can sit here with all these new things. They're now into the third round of the playoffs. And if you would have told me if any of this would have happened at the beginning of the season, I would have told you, you're out of your freaking mind. There's no way that this is going to happen. And the way the city has embraced this team and just the way the team has done so well, and it's just, it's been this remarkable story. And, you know, being a, a fanatical sports fan, and I've been through, you know, I'm a huge LA Kings fan, a Pittsburgh Penguin fan, so I've seen them win Stanley Cups and the elation of that. I, I can't compare, even that can't compare to what's going on here right now. It's just, it's really an unbelievably special story, and, and to be part of it is uh, is just been phenomenal, just to be a fan along for the ride. It's, it's incredible. It's like, you know, finding, you know, but Metallica in the early days and watching them ride or, you know, pick the band that you found out early on that nobody else knew about and they became successful. You went along for the ride. It's the same thing with this hockey team. So, and they're entering into the, uh, the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs now. So, uh, I'm actually, that's probably what I'm most fired up about right now. So. <laughs> that, that is not surprising knowing you how I know you. Um, what is your one prediction for the future of the music business? Uh, you know, it's tough to say now because uh, it's all kind of happening now, but it's really interesting. So what we see going on now is with all of the streaming stuff. And what I find really interesting is that obviously the music business had a really tough time over the last 10 years. And now it's kind of, everybody's kind of figuring it out. And the streaming is becoming a big thing. Everybody's streaming it. It's becoming real money. Uh, you just see that because everybody's trying to buy anything and everything. I mean, people trying to buy my label like left and right. I'm just like, I have no interest in that because I don't really care about money and I don't want to lose the power. I want to wake up. If I wake up at nine in the morning, I want to do something. I want to do it. I don't want to have to wake up at nine in the morning and say, I want to do something. I have to call some guy in a suit and say, can I do this? Mm. So, so you're really seeing this, this whole thing with the music business where it's really becoming uh, a whole different animal in a very good way where people have easy access to music. Everybody's getting access to music. And, and it's interesting because the entertainment business now, you know, the movies are, are kind of having a tough time figuring out what to do. Certainly network TV and, and over the air TV is having a tough time. And the music business kind of figured out how to make it work. And what we're seeing now is these streaming numbers are becoming astronomical. And for example, you know, Spotify now has a deal with Hulu. So those two are partnering up together to get more people to listen to music. So I think we're at this, this, the precipice now of a really phenomenal business model for this, for this industry where, you know, you've got all this access to music. It's really simple and easy. People can listen to it. And the other thing, the dynamics of how it, how bands receive money have changed. And this is what I try to explain to bands all the time because people are still like, are we really going to make money on this? And no, 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 you're going to make money and they're making money now. But you have to look at it this way. So before, the model before all these years was you make a piece of product, whether it was a cassette tape, a 
vinyl album, a compact disc, whatever. You sell it for a certain price. Somebody buys it, and that's end end of the story. Whether you know whatever they paid for, they paid for, and they can listen to it one time or a million times. Well, now every time somebody listens to your song, you get paid, and that's just the way it's going to move on from now from here on out. So it's really kind of limitless what how you can make money and how artists can again make money on actual music, and that's become really interesting to me. And I also think that the way us as labels are are acting now are more are more like because we don't have to deal with as much the whole you know pushing out records and cds and spending a lot of money on manufacturing cds and putting them in the stores and hoping they sell and all this sort of stuff now we can concentrate on more important things like marketing and promotion and how to build a brand of a band so with all this stuff's changing and we've already seen it now in the last three years every major album we've put out in the last three years of a band that has had a couple of records before the new album has been their biggest selling album to date and that's whether it's Cannibal Corpse or Amon Amarth or, you know, Primordial recently, you know, you blacked all your murder on and on. So it's really a super exciting time. And, and I think, you know, because the, the bands are really getting into it as well, if for some reason you're also seeing, you know, almost every band make phenomenal records who haven't made. I mean, look at a band like Judas Priest, who I love, who the, you know, one of the forerunners of heavy metal. They haven't made a good record for a long period of time, and they're so in, infused and excited by what's happening with music and the industry and everything else. They just made their best record in probably 26 or 27 years. So I think it's an exciting time for metal right now and, and just for the businesses as, as it is. So I think the prediction for the future is it's going to get better and bigger and hopefully move up from there. And I also think that you're starting to see the other, the other aspect of this, and I'm kind of going all over the place, is you know we need bands, we need to have the next set of headliners because you know you're on Ozzy's last tour. Uh, you know, Slayer's on their last tour. So, you know, you need bands to kind of get to that next level. You're seeing a band like Ghost, for example. They're, you know, going to play the Forum in L.A. and, and Barclays Center New York. And they're kind of ma- trying to make that leap up to being the next level arena band. I know bands like Amon Amarth and Mastodon and Lime of God are, are doing the same thing. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I think as a lot of people worry about who are going to be the next big headliners, I think they're coming up in the ranks. And once there's room, they'll come up as well. You know, uh, as a music fan and as a music consumer, I find that like Spotify, like, you know, my, my environment in Spotify, like I've never been more excited about music than I am right now because I have access to so much and the platform of Spotify enables me to make playlists and share it. Right. And then once one song or one band leads to another and just in terms of discovery, like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like, you know, back in our day with like the tape trading days and, and, you know, you're working at the record store and someone comes in and you play them, you know, restless and wild for the first time or when they're like, Whoa, I've never heard someone play double bass like that or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Like now we just have the, like discovery is so awesome because it's like, you can send someone a link to, to this. And then if you like it, right? As metalheads as we are, like we're forever going to be collectors. It's like goes right to their band camp or goes right to their website where I can buy the vinyl or I can pre-order the vinyl. It's like, you know I mean? Like for instance, like Metal Blade, that Gozu record that you guys just put out is so awesome. And if it wasn't for Spotify, I don't think that I would ever would have known who that band was. And I wouldn't have been able to follow their career to the point to where I go like now I go, wow, you guys just put out like your best record ever. And it's because I've been following you because of Discovery. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, whatever platform it is, you know, Spotify be the biggest or Apple Music or, you know, Bandcamp. Like, that's the cool thing is if, if I hear a band that I really like, I can, like, go to their Spotify page or Bandcamp or Apple Music and, and text to my friend and say, hey, check this out. I mean, it happens all the time. Like, my, my good friend Chris Santos, the big chef guy on Chopped and Beauty and Essex and Vandal and stuff, we do that all the time. He'll hear something really cool. He'll, you know, text me their their page somewhere and, like, check this out. And I'll do the same thing. So, and you couldn't do that, you know, 20 years ago. You say, hey, there's a really good record. Check it out. So, yeah, I think that whole technology and the way it's going now is, is awesome. And it's great for people to discover music. So, you as a huge music fan, you as a record label owner, what qualities do you look for? in a band trying to get signed to Metal Blade? Well, you know, it's really, it's, it's almost impossible to say that. I mean, there are some things we look at. Uh, clearly this day and age, you know, you would want to have a band to have some semblance of something happening. You know, whether it's some Twitter followers, some Facebook followers, you know, some, some sort of social media presence. You know, you would want them to have something happening in their local town, that they're you know, playing some, some shows with some people showing up. I mean, all those things we look at. But that being said, it really ultimately comes down to the music. Well, I would love to say like every band we, we sign has to have these parameters of certain certain things. That's not necessarily the case. We signed a band called Visigoth from Salt Lake City that had zero anything. But the band was so great and the tape was so – the demo was so amazing. I said, I don't care. We'll sign it anyway. So it almost – there is no rules for us. It's just kind of whatever we like. And certain stuff comes in and we go, I don't really care if it doesn't have anything. This is so good. We're going to do it anyway. But that being said, clearly, if you can, and it's certainly super helpful in developing a band, is to have some form of, of all, especially the social media stuff. I mean, it's so easy to do and get out there and, and do something with it. That's certainly very helpful from, you know, if we sign a band and they already have something going on there, we have something to go through. It's a lot harder to do it if you don't. So, we do like that and it is very important, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if we don't think the band is amazing, we won't sign it anyway. It's refreshing, you know, because as you know, this isn't the attitude of most record labels, right? Like the fact that it Metal Blade is still propelled by powerful music is is enlightening. You know, and like, yes, of course, it's like you're going to sign a band and like two bands that are listening to this. Right. It's like, help us help you, because it's like we can there's a lot of things that we can do. Right. Like we can help you get a producer. We can help you make a record. We can put that record on Spotify. We can even make, you know, pre-order packages that include CDs and vinyl. There's a lot of things that we can do. Right. As as people that are on your team. Right. Your label, your manager, whoever. But what we can't give you is fans. And the only way that you can get fans is if you grind and you got to work it and you got to book shows and you got to get out there and you got to hustle and you got to get on the socials. Like I know that these things are sometimes daunting to bands that don't understand it. But once again, you got to help us help you because it's like we can help you make a record, but if there's no one to sh give it to, it makes our jobs more difficult. You're 100% right on that. Absolutely. What would be a new level for you? You know, it's interesting because, you know, we're an independent label and you know, we, want, we want to stay an independent label, but we also want to, you know, be the, the biggest and the best label you can be. I mean, that's just all these anybody wants to do so we've done a couple things in the last couple years that i think make us an interesting place to be uh a couple years ago we have this you know i mentioned them earlier monomorph one of our bigger bands and they were at the end of their contract cycle and you know they had gotten pretty big and they were getting a lot of offers from major labels and we didn't want them to leave 
And in the past, we've lost a lot of bands to major labels, and none of them, with the exception of two, Slayer and Metallica, ever went on to be bigger than they were when they were on Metal Blade. So we want to keep them here. So we entered in, we, you know, we're distributed by Sony throughout most of the world. And so we entered into a partnership with Sony to sign the Monomarth, where we would sign the band, and then Sony would license it for all the territories outside of North America. So we would do North America, Sony would do the rest of the world, and we, you know, we have part, you know, we have people in, you know, Canada. Well, Canada's a bad example. It's North America, duh. In uh, you know Europe and other places, that would also help along with Sony, and that became a really huge success. The band's record came out; it was top five in every single country in the world, number one in quite a few of them, and was just massive, huge success. And it laid this amazing business plan and business model for us to use. So we're, we've we've just uh, entered into an agreement with another pretty massive band that we're going to use the same template for, which in, in probably I'm hoping in about a week or so. I'm not sure when this podcast will be out there, but soon you you'll either know about it now or you will hear about it very soon, and that's kind of really really fun for us because I think that takes us to to a new level without having to sell out to a major label, which I don't want to do. But I'd rather partner with a major label and take a couple of big bands and get them to that next level, and that's what we've really been doing, and that's what I think is going to take us to that new level that we want to be at. Nice. So this is my last question: Living or dead. Who are the members of your ultimate supergroup? I love this question. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, my friends and I play this game all the time. <laughs> and we argue about who should be in there. So uh, I don't have to argue with anybody now. So this one is fairly easy for me. Uh, vocalist Ronnie James Dio. The guitar duos will be Dimebag Daryl and Michael Shanker. Okay. The bass player is going to be Steve Harris. And the drummer is going to be Dave Lombardo. Now, what all those band, all those guys have come up with, I have no idea, but it has to be pretty good because those are some of my favorite players of all time. So, Now, are you thinking those guys are the guys writing the songs? Or if you could put all, the, all those guys together in a room, but maybe you could pick someone to write a song for them, who might that be? To write it? Well, I mean, honestly, if out of that group, I'd just probably pick Steve Harris to write the song. I mean, he's written some of my favorite songs of all time, so I, I would pick him to write the song. Interesting. All right. Well, Brian, thanks for taking the time, man. I super appreciate it. And uh, how can our listeners find you on uh, social media? Where, where can they where can they follow you? Yep, I'm up there and I'm, I'm very active. I'm active every day on Twitter and uh, Instagram. So hit me. It's just at Brian Slagle. Uh, I've got two Facebook pages, that, like one that's kind of sort of your, your personal one, but there's 5,000 people on there. So you can hit me up on there. There's also a fan page there. And then obviously any other, other information you can go to all the Metal Blade socials and get that stuff there. But hit me up. I'm, I'm on certainly Twitter and Instagram all the time. Facebook, I'm not a huge fan of. So if you send me a, a mail there and I don't get back to you, don't be mad. But hit me up on, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm there all the time. Uh, if bands want to submit their music to Metal Blade for consideration, is that something that you do? And if so, where do they send it to? Yeah, just go to the website, metalblade.com, and there's a whole thing on there about how to send the demo tapes in into to the label. But I will tell you, though, while you, you please feel free to do that, with the amount of bands that we sign from something like that is probably 0.000001. How we sign bands are people that we know, whether booking agents, uh, magazine people, local people in you know record stores in St. Louis, Missouri, or whatever, that they're the ones who turn us on to bands and that that's generally how we sign them or, you know, so they open up for some other band. So I would encourage you if you're a band, by all means, send us our material, but cuddle up with all these different people in, in your city or, or the, the World Wide web or anything. And that's usually somebody will say, Hey, we heard this band's really cool. Check them out. 
that's that's the best way I can tell you about how if you really want to get signed to get signed. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks again. I sincerely appreciate it. You got it, my friend. Thank you so much. A New Level Podcast is brought to you by Musicians Institute. Headphones provided by Monster Products. Editing and music by Blake Bunzel. Logo design by Mango Beard. I produced this show with my managemental co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry for Jabberjaw Media. Email me questions or comments at askblasco at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.